Welcome back to season two of Snubs and Dubs. We've been talking about the snubs and dubs of the 87th Academy Award for Best Picture. I'm your host, Kyle Tobiasen, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jason Miller. Jason, how you doing today? Hey, pretty good. <laughs> how about you? Um, also pretty good. We got a guest coming on later today. We're hot and fresh off of that recording. You guys will hear it later, but we just heard it. And lived through it. And recorded it. Yes. <laughs> well, I hope we record it. Otherwise, uh, you won't have one coming up. <laughs> if there's just like a 25 minute blank spot in this episode, uh, you know, we fucked up. <laughs> Did you watch anything last week? Um, Not a whole lot. Just in preparation for this episode on some of our favorite monkeys out there. I yep. watched uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes because we're doing Dawn, the yes. sequel. Uh, but that was the only other movie experience that I had. Nice. How about you? I also watched Rise, which was awesome. I loved revisiting. I always forget how good it is. Yeah. This movie rises and grinds. It is. <laughs> and it's also like a, it's a sleeper. You don't expect it yeah. to be as good as it is. Mm-hmm. I forgot that it was like, I've watched it before not knowing it was good. And you're like, yep. wow, that was good. Yep. And then I rewatched it forgetting that it was good. And man, wow. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's so weird too, because like I always think of it as the worst in this trilogy, mm-hmm. which I think it is. It is. But like saying it's the worst of anything is almost a yeah. disservice to it. Yeah. Because like, it's so good. And it's just the other two movies are amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like this is the worst hot dog I've ever eaten. They're all good. There's no bad <laughs> hot dog. They're all good. <laughs> all right, well, I was actually kind of busy. I've had like a, a bit of a movie every day, this type of week. Oh um, God. I started off on Monday, which was our holiday, uh, watching Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Uh, How was that? It was, in fact, a movie. I did sit down and Mm -hmm. experience filmed footage for two hours plus. Um, That's probably the extent it was fine. Because I remember coming out of the first one. With that exact thought (laughs) of like, wow, that was a movie. I guess it was fine. Yeah. And then every time I've seen a, a follow-up Fantastic Beasts, I yeah. had no interest in watching that. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, it felt so inconsequential. Like even in it its own series. Yeah. Like it wants to be this big thing and they're kidding themselves by trying to make it a Fantastic Beasts movie. Like there is Fantastic Beasts in the movie, but they almost feel shoehorned in for plot reasons because they have the title of Fantastic Beasts, but it's clearly not what she wants to do. Jacob yeah. <laughs> Rowling does not want to be doing Fantastic Beasts movie anymore. If you wanted to have Fantastic Beasts movies, go do that or just have the one yeah. and then continue on and have Newt come in because he's friends with Dumbledore. All good. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to call them Fantastic Beasts movies. No. Newt is a supporting character in this movie. <laughs> he is not the lead anymore. One of the leads from the Fantastic Beasts movies, uh, like Newt's love interest, is in two scenes. <laughs> She's completely gone. I mean, there's probably reasons because she did. Uh, she was very outspoken against J.K. Rowling's thoughts on trans people. Oh, good but, for her. Um, so she might have been written out uh, for other reasons. But still, it's like they're no longer Fantastic Beast movies. And so, so stop fucking around. Mm-hmm. Just make them their own thing. If you want to do a Wizarding War movie, do a Wizarding War movie. But like, it's like not... It's not even Great. like Fantastic Beasts <laughs> yeah. has some kind of huge name yeah. pull. It was just a spinoff movie. Like, it is. Do people, the people who loved Fantastic Beasts for being a Harry Potter movie, they're going anyways. Yeah. You don't need yeah. to worry about them. Like, I was not going to miss it. I did not go opening night, which was like, you know, 
a big step for me. Somebody who goes <laughs> to every, congratulations, every day Kyle. <laughs> you went a couple <laughs> days later. <laughs> yeah, one of the Monday instead of like the Thursday. But like, yeah, I I don't even know if I would recommend it to people because it's like just not that great. And if you weren't already on board with Fantastic Beasts, like you're not going to be swung into the dad direction with this one. So yeah. yeah well, I'm not, I'm not going to go. Nah, you so don't have to. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> so other than that, uh, I also last night saw Robert Eggers, the Northman. Ooh, I'm interested how that was. It was good. Nice. It was long oh. and it felt long. It was only two hours and 15 minutes, but it felt long mm. and like it had a very clunky pacing the marketing was very misleading for this and as it has been with a lot of robert eggers movies because they're trying to pitch you that this is some action revenge piece Mm -hmm. but like it is you know very methodical very spiritual and kind of wacky and zany which i expected it to be but it also takes too long and sometimes to actually get to the action bits like there are literally moments where a character asks the main character hey are we gonna do something and he's like (laughs) no we need to wait for the right moment and we're like okay i'd like to think that wasn't scripted that was just like the actor (laughs) being like come on are we doing something (laughs) are we going anywhere with this yeah we're not even north yet (laughs) (laughs) but like it's well acted clearly well directed i love that they made this movie because it's a wacky movie and it has such a big budget behind it with you know great stars and of course willem dafoe which makes every movie better every movie um but yeah i, I don't know if this is going to be the robert eggers movie i recommend to people i feel like if you're going to start anywhere maybe start with the lighthouse and the witch and then this one if you're really in it but like it was overall fine but yeah, yeah. It's a hard one to recommend Mm -hmm. because I think it's a very specific person that will want to watch this movie. And if they are that specific type of person, they probably already watched it. Yeah, that's fair. But that was it. Oh, well. But we're going to get into the actual movie we're talking about today. So, of course, season two of Snubs and Doves has been covering the films from the year 2014. And for episode 12, we are talking about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Have you seen it before? Yes. Yes, I have seen it before. Um, I remember coming late to this trilogy. Yeah. I think I don't think it was that long after War for the came out. Yeah. I started watching it and I'm like, oh man, I messed up. I <laughs> missed the boat on these ones completely because yeah. they are solid movies mm-hmm. that I just was like, that CGI ape looks dumb. And then I didn't watch <laughs> it in theaters and I was so foolish in, yeah. in that. How about you? Have you seen it before? I have seen it before and I actually did get to see it in theaters. I came late in that I didn't see Rise in theaters, Mm -hmm. but I saw Rise after and was like, okay, I'm going to go see Dawn in theaters and was so happy to do that. I also saw War in theaters and I remember it being one of the first movies that I actually told somebody to shut the fuck up (laughs) in the movie. Let the monkey speak. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But before this episode, when was the last time you had seen it? I think it was like 2018 yeah. that I'd watched it. Somewhere around there. I that think. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. War came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. So um, if you were watching after war, then yeah, that's yeah. a good time. It was somewhat recent. Mm-hmm. I wish I had watched it in theaters and yeah. in like 2018 when I could just, because mm-hmm. I like banged out the whole trilogy and it was oh, yeah. great. I loved it. No mm-hmm. regrets from that. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice that you can bang out this trilogy now because like yeah. the, there was pretty significant gaps and obviously there's a lot of visual effects that go into this movie and so it, it needs time. Mm-hmm. But 
and it works so well together as a trilogy and like one narrative from rise to dawn to war. And yeah. like, even though there's time gaps between them, they're all so connected and the character growth is so consistent yeah. throughout that. It just, it works really well. But, I think not only is it easy to back to back to back these, it's hard not to. Yeah. Because when I was watching rise, I'm like, Oh man, I can't wait for tomorrow evening. Yeah. So I can watch Don. I was watching Don. I was like, man, I wish I could watch more for them, but I don't have enough time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think I had recently gone through the trilogy as well. It was probably two or three years ago. I love showing these movies to people too, because a lot of people haven't seen them. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, if you were interested in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I've included the links to the physical media related to it in the show notes. There's a 4K copy that I have that I watched it on. It's beautiful. If you buy through that link, it'll help out our show. Or if you have any other Amazon shopping to do, follow the general link to help out our show in the process. Later this episode, as I mentioned, we are going to be joined by our special guest, Evan McDonald of the Kino Lefter podcast. So stay tuned for that. And remember, this is going to be a spoiler-filled conversation so if you have not seen this movie and you want to go ahead and do so but without further ado let's get into it so dawn of the planet of the apes is a sequel to 2011's rise of the planet of the apes it is directed by matt reeves and was written by mark bomback rick jaffa and amanda silver but also maybe matt reeves more on that later it was based on the characters by rick jaffa and amanda silver and the premise was suggested by planet of the apes by pierre boule it stars Andy Serkis as Caesar, Jason Clark as Malcolm, Gary Oldman as Dreyfus, Carrie Russell as Ellie, Toby Kebbell as Koba, and Cody Smith McPhee as Alexander. It's a runtime of 130 minutes and a released on July 11th, 2014. Jason, we love Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. We love Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. I think we'll get into that in the yeah. interview. We'll <laughs> mention that once or twice. Yeah, but for now, do you want to just jump right into the plot? Because we got yeah. a pretty brisk plot here. Uh, Well, in case you forgot, 10 years after the global pandemic of a deadly simian flu, the worldwide human population has been drastically reduced with only about 1 in 500 genetically immune. The apes, under the chimpanzee Caesar, all bestowed with genetically enhanced intelligence by the virus, have long established a colony in the Murr Woods near San Francisco. A group of humans, led by a man named Malcolm, trespass onto the apes' territory from San Francisco in search of a hydroelectric dam that would restore power to the city. An encounter by Caesar's son, Blue Eyes, and his friend, Ash, leads to the latter's injury by a man named Carver. Malcolm manages to prevent further escalation, and Caesar orders the humans to leave. Prompted by Koba, Caesar brings his army to the humans' community as a display of strength. Caesar announces to the community that while the apes do not want war, he intends to fight the humans if he is forced to while demanding the humans stay in their territory. Malcolm convinces his fellow leader Dreyfus to give him time to take a small team to the forest and reconcile with the apes so they can access the dam. He meets with Caesar, who allows them to work on the generator on the condition that they surrender their guns. As Malcolm, his wife Ellie, and his son Alexander work, they bond with the apes. The fragile bond briefly falls apart when Carver is discovered to have kept a hidden gun and is thus forcibly sent away, but it is greatly restored when a nurse, Ellie, effectively treats Caesar's wife, Cornelia's, illness. Dreyfus arms his community using the Fort Point Armory. Coba discovers the armory and confronts Caesar, accusing him of loving humans more than apes. Caesar beats Coba in response, but refrains from killing him. Coba later returns to the armory and takes an assault rifle, killing two guards, and he secretly kills Carver after the humans succeed in repairing the generator and restoring power to the city. Koba takes advantage of the celebration to covertly set fire to the ape's home. 
He then shoots Caesar, who falls into the underbrush below and frames the humans for Caesar's apparent death and the fire to justify war. Koba quickly takes command and leads the ape army into San Francisco, where they plunder the armory and mount a full-scale assault on the human settlement. Despite taking heavy casualties, the apes breach the building and imprison the humans as Dreyfus flees underground. When Ash refuses Koba's orders to kill unarmed humans, citing Caesar's teachings, Koba throws him to his death and has any other ape who is loyal to Caesar imprisoned, including Maurice, Luca, and Rocket. Malcolm's family finds a severely wounded Caesar and transport him to his former house in San Francisco. When Malcolm sneaks back into the settlement to find medical supplies for Caesar, he encounters Blue Eyes, who spares him before learning that his father is still alive and accompanies Malcolm to find him. Caesar reveals that it was Koba, not the humans, who shot him and confesses that apes can be as corrupt and violent as humans. After reconciling with Caesar, Blue Eyes returns to the tower and frees the imprisoned humans and apes. Malcolm escorts the apes into the tower and then finds Dreyfus. He learns that the return of electricity allowed Dreyfus's men to make radio contact with survivors from military base who are now coming to fight the apes. Caesar confronts Koba at the top of the tower. As they fight, Dreyfus, who has initiated a suicide mission, detonates C4 charges that destabilize the tower in a failed attempt to kill the apes. Koba starts angrily shooting at the apes when they come to Caesar's aid, but Caesar tackles him from a ledge while clinging on a metal girder. Koba is disowned as an ape by Caesar and dropped to his death. Malcolm and Caesar acknowledge their friendship with Malcolm warning of the approaching human military. Caesar responds, War has already begun. <laughs> because of Koba's violent reign and also responds that the humans will never forgive the apes for their attack and convinces Malcolm to leave with his family for safety before the fighting begins. He then stands before a kneeling mass of apes preparing for the upcoming war and that is the dawn of the planet of the apes. Nice. Very brisk plot and covers basically everything. Yeah, that's a lot yeah. of what happened. There's a lot of themes. There's a lot of relationships. Yeah. A lot of subterfuge. Mm-hmm. Caesar gets backstabbed again. Yeah. That name just <laughs> keeps taking a beating. <laughs> but now maybe it's a good time to speak with our good friend, Evan McDonald. What do you say, Kyle? I say that's a great idea. Let's jump to that right now. All right. Well, we are happy to welcome back Evan McDonald of Kino Lefter fame to the podcast as our first returning guest from a movie that we had to look up to remember <laughs> which one you were on before. It was a time to kill. Yeah, it was. Um, but now it's dawn of the planet of the apes. Evan, how you doing today? I'm doing good. I missed you boys. And uh, this movie might also be a time to kill. These apes are facing some difficult questions, so I'm happy to be back. (laughs) You know what? There's a lot of struggle in this movie. They have their characters overcoming problems to get a resolution. And I've been told that's that's movies. It was funny. Jason mentioned A Time to Kill. It had exited my brain since we had last talked about it. So I'm much happier to have brought you on again for a much better movie. Sadly, this film not directed by Joel Schumacher. We don't have sort of his incredible (laughs) visual style driving this narrative. But you do a an extra series on Planet of the Apes on your podcast. You want to tell us about that real quick? Yeah, I do. Thanks for mentioning it. Um, So since August... 2021 i have been covering here and there the entire planet of the apes franchise so since then episodes from the original film to 
Rise of the Planet of the Apes have come out. So Dawn is next up. So I am excited to do two episodes about Dawn of the Planet <laughs> of the Apes. But spoiler alert, this is probably one of my favorite movies. So I'm always happy to talk about it. Oh, yeah, this is a fantastic movie. And I would recommend if you want a little pre you could pause this now, listener out there, and then go listen to the most recent episode of Takes from the Forbidden Zone. It has uh, Rob Rousseau on that. He was good. I listened to that the other day. Enjoyed my time dearly. Learned more about the movie I had already watched and clearly did not take anything <laughs> from. But I had the expert insight of the the monkey master. The- <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's what I'm here for. Really just the person who knows a lot about the, the Planet of the Apes series. And Evan, I'm glad that you mentioned that this is a really good movie because it is a really good movie and it's i think like the first movie i wasn't ready for like how good the cgi was gonna be and how well it's honestly held up because when i came back to this a couple days ago to watch i'm like i'm gonna remember james franco is in this and i'm ready for that now but i don't remember how these monkeys look and they look pretty good yeah i also rewatched rise before this because i feel like it was it was kind of right. Like you couldn't just go into Don Cold. You could go into Don Cold and it actually does well to kind of introduce you to the story previous. But Rise also does enough to motivate or to give an explanation to Koba's motivation. And so when you watch them as kind of like a complete pair, it re- they really complement each other and work together really well, even though there's a time jump between it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also a director change in there, too. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And I think the big achievement of Rise of the Planet of the Apes is like fully immersing you in like a like an empathic viewpoint with the apes, uh, because that certainly wasn't the case for at least the first two Planet of the Apes movies where it's like, oh, it's frightening. They've taken over the planet. But by the end of Rise, it's like, wow, I really care about Caesar and the plight of these apes. And it's just I think it's just such an amazing sequel because like the end of Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the end credits is like, oh, the virus is spreading around the world. We pick up this movie. Same thing. It's like, hey, that virus. Here's how it's here's how it's changed the game. And yeah, Matt Reeves was brought on very late into the process after Rupert Wyatt dropped out and uh, they totally reworked the script. I think it was going to be more like a post-apocalyptic action movie, maybe set more years apart from Rise. But, you know, Matt Reeves, genius that he is, decided to go in this direction. Yeah, his storytelling is amazing in this. And it really builds off of continuing from the Caesar character, which is like so central to Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I'm glad that they kind of kept that still be the main focus of Don because I wasn't done with the guy yet. I wanted to learn more about him. What makes him tick? I want to see him as a father and he seems to be a pretty good one. (laughs) Yeah. And like what I love about Caesar in this movie is he's not perfect. He makes a lot of mistakes and a lot of it is just like his cloudy judgment and his belief that Koba will not make these choices against the apes because he believes that Koba is just going to be with the apes. Like he's his brother. He won't make these horrible, rude choices <laughs> to kill Caesar, even though Koba believes so strongly that, you know, he has to make those choices to save the apes. It is kind of selfish, but so interesting. Yeah, he does a lot of ape killing later. For yeah. one of the, its core tenants being ape, not kill ape. Oh, <laughs> ape kill a lot of ape if you're one particular ape. Yeah, and I'm really glad that Matt Reeves decided to come on and kind of rework this because you could tell in certain elements of Rise, 
that they were setting up the plot of just like Planet of the Apes, where you would see on the TV screens and on the newspapers that they had sent manned missions to Mars and that they had lost track of them. And so now like we we know that there's people in space that are going to come back and oh well, there's a Planet of the Apes. But they stopped from just going straight there. And they took these other two movies, including War, to kind of get us more familiar with the apes and the struggle that they faced and even the human struggle that they faced after the virus to get to that point where they will kind of eventually, you know, become the planet of the apes. And so it's a very cool transitioning type of movie. And a lot of people compare this to like Empire Strikes Back of the Planet of the Apes trilogy because it is kind of like that dark night of the soul type movie. And it's great. It's dealing with so many interesting themes and I love just all of the creative decisions behind this movie are so smart, like setting it in this time where peace between apes and humanity might be possible, even though you are watching a prequel film to a series where humans become voiceless cattle. (laughs) um, It's, you know, it's exciting to potentially have, you know, these two societies living in peace. But I, it, it adds, I think to the entire like tragic nature of the planet of the apes universe. And there was this one line early on in the film that I was thinking about where in one of my favorite shots where Maurice and Caesar are sitting on a rock and you see like the beautiful forest in front of them and they're talking about how apes are different from humanity. And he was like, oh, well, the humans uh, destroyed each other, but apes are a family. We're not we're we're all together. And it's it's this naivete that prevents Caesar from being able to see the real problems in front of him like the apes. And and I mean, the the line at the end of the movie, like you are not ape being an ape isn't necessarily just a species identity. It's a political identity. And that's what's going to shape the entire future of their world. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really interesting politics at play between like Caesar and Koba. And it's somewhat also mirrored on like the human side with uh, Dreyfus and Malcolm. Malcolm, that's the name. But also there's an interesting kind of dichotomy between Maurice and Koba that I really liked because they build up both Koba and Maurice have only seen the bad side in humanity. But Maurice is willing to give them a chance and ends up not teaming up with Koba, even though personal motivation wise, they kind of all have the same reasons to really want to exterminate those filthy, pesky humans. But Maurice has like a a better morality to him than Koba does and ultimately wants to help and, you know, read books and learn from the humans, (laughs) even if it's just a some random teenager reading a comic. Yeah. So I was going to ask, Evan, when did you come to this movie? Were you a like day one theater person for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Because I wasn't a day one theater person for Rise, but after watching Rise later, I was a day one theater person for Dawn. I was a day one theater person for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. It's funny. I didn't grow up watching Planet of the Apes. I think I got hooked after seeing Rise in theaters. uh, And I was just like, this is nuts. Like, this is a really cool movie. Uh, And then I kind of forgot about it. And then I remember seeing like the trailers for Dawn. And I was like, this is like so many levels above what Rise did. And it's, it's everything you want. In a movie, apes on horseback, apes with machine guns, apes dealing with, you know, deep political divides within their communities and Gary Oldman. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been an ape head ever since. I remember I was in the theater the opening weekend for War for the Planet of the Apes and they had a power outage. So I had to wait like another like half an hour to see the movie. They're trying to keep the apes from me, but 
They're not very successful. <laughs> the wait for the war for the Planet of the Apes, really the most tragic part of that series. <laughs> oh, of, of course. Is it safe to call Dawn of Planet of the Apes your favorite, or do you prefer one of the others from this trilogy? It's for a while, it was between War and Dawn, but I've seen Dawn of the Planet of the Apes probably around 10 times. I love this film so much. Even the human moments, I let it slide. Like Gary Oldman's so fantastic. <laughs> Jason Clark, he's kind of a nothing actor to me, but he's like fine in this. And like some, you know, the roles for some women in this movie are very limited where uh, Carrie Russell is just like, I'm a nurse. I can help. That's her only purpose in the plot. A fun behind the scenes thing for Cornelia, Caesar's wife in the film, they had a design problem because she wasn't sexy enough as an ape because uh, ape <laughs> females don't really look that differentiated from ape males. So they had to like tinker the face a bit so the audience members could be like, oh, that's a lady ape. So <laughs> a little bit weird. And they give her a little jewelry too. Yeah, she's got a big like Prada bag and she's wearing a juicy couture <laughs> sweatsuit. <laughs> I would actually kind of rule. I want to see that movie now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah now that, that might be actually a really good pitch for the next movie in the series. Yeah, let's really sexy up these apes. The devil wears Prada, but just with apes. Mm-hmm. Escape it from is, the Planet it, of the Apes kind of did it. Oh, sorry. You know, time travel oh, movie, okay. uh, <laughs> some apes wearing human clothes like this. The franchise has been there. It can go back. I do love that they wanted to uh, make Cornelia look more female in the movie, but you're introduced to her giving birth, which I think kind of. It's it's a subtle hint to the fact that she's a woman in this movie. <laughs> it's very gendered. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I think that maybe technically this passes the Bechdel test because I believe that the mom in this. What's oh, name? gosh. Like you said, Carrie Russell was the actor. Yeah. But. yeah, well, Carrie Russell's character. I think she says a line to Cornelia while giving her medical attention. I believe. So I think <laughs> this by the most like stringent of really technicalities. <laughs> Passes, passes that but the characters are not very well developed and they're not mm-hmm. used that extensively in this yeah and you've talked about gary oldman and jason clark already but there's so much you can say about caesar and uh oh my god I'm andy circus andy circus as oh caesar god. that guy is incredible and like the motion capture work in this is top tier and even being like an eight-year-old movie now it's still amazing and beautiful to look at from the opening shot to the last Mm -hmm. and a lot of people were talking about giving him an academy award nomination for this movie he did not and in fact the only academy award nomination that this movie got was visual effects and it didn't even win it lost to interstellar and so andy circus as caesar did he deserve a nomination for this movie As repugnant an institution as I believe the Academy is, uh, I do think they should have awarded Andy Serkis with an Oscar for being Caesar. He's so good. Like, it's it's phenomenal. And it's interesting with the Caesar performance, right? Because if you look at the behind the scenes stuff, he's clearly, you know, acting his heart out. And it looks very similar to what they end up with in the final product. But like an ape face is like fairly different from a human face. There's a lot of work that like Weta needs to do to like map out his expressions onto this like digital puppet. And it's this, it's this beautiful synthesis of CGI being used to enhance the story. And knowing that like 90% of this was shot outdoors in natural light with motion capture to make it look as like photorealistic as possible. It's great. 
And Andy Serkis, he gets so much depth in this. It's like, which Oscar should he get? He should have won two Oscars, one for Dawn and one for War, and then an honorary Oscar afterwards to celebrate his work in all three films. Absolutely agreed. And like so much of this movie works so well because Andy Serkis is the perfect Caesar who delivers a stunning performance. It's so hard not to empathize with him. And if they had gone out and just like fully CGI'd the models or done kind of a modern day CGI take on Caesar, I don't know if it hits as good. It needed that motion capture kind of uh, base for the CGI to look as good as it does and actually convey that emotion as smoothly as it does. Yeah. And as well as Andy Serkis, uh, Toby Kebbell as Koba also does a really great job. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. And unfortunately, watching this movie reminded me that he played Dr. Doom in the Fantastic (laughs) Four movie that's extremely bad. Um, But like his performance as Koba is just like seared into my memory. The voice he's doing, his posture, his facial expressions, just such a this is like an all time villain performance. Definitely. And he's the one that says apes together strong. Like, I don't think we ever hear anyone else say it other than him. It's signed and it's on the walls, but he's the only one that actually says that line. And I uh, realized that because uh, I was watching the trailer for war to get myself hyped to watch it over the weekend again. (laughs) And they use that clip of him screaming apes together strong in that final confrontation with Caesar. And it just hits so hard. And also, there's a lot of emotion at the very end when he also says, ape, no kill ape, despite the fact that he had just laid waste to like 50 apes on his way over to that particular part of the tower, too. (laughs) Yeah. A couple of things about like just the production of this movie that's amazing is like the amount they used outdoor sets. And also Mm -hmm. the fact that they never made this into an NFT series, (laughs) despite the literal billions of dollars they could print by making even one out of this. Oh my God. There's time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This was shot uh, in Vancouver too, a little bit of it. Uh, A lot of the exterior apes locations were shot in Vancouver. So that's cool. Yeah, this is the most San Francisco has ever looked like Vancouver. Um, And this is is a Vancouver movie. I'm sorry. This is is CanCon. Yeah, because I think all of the wooden areas were also filmed in Canada as well. Yep. Which, I mean, couldn't you have used the red for the the Redwood Forest if that's... No. No. No, okay. Being told, no, it did have to be in Canada. Okay, that's good to know. (laughs) But a lot of the themes that are in this movie are... They they kind of separate itself from Rise of the Planet quite a bit because Rise happens to do a lot of like struggle and kind of overcoming an oppressor. But now the apes kind of find themselves on roughly equal footing to the humans. So it's less of like a a kind of rising up and revolution and now just like almost like an affirming of, of borders and security that way, which is a lot of a different moral in the story and adds a lot to uh, some of the emotional characterization. Cause it's easy to empathize with people who are overcoming some kind of oppression and rise. But now, Oh boy, they're kind of doing some naughty stuff. There's now mm-hmm. there's bad actors all over the place in uh, Dawn. They have to live in a, a complex geopolitical environment. But it's it's fascinating, right? Because like the apes are on the ascent. Like they are beginning to develop this civilization. They have schools. Most of the apes can sign. And a lot of the younger apes, like their posture is different than the older apes who like just got the ALZ 113. So like genetically, the apes are becoming more and more like human like and we we get this like this human community 
which is like slowly dying. And I, I think a really interesting journey that humanity goes on through the, the new Planet of the Apes films is like the slow descent into like a fascist death cult. And that that's building here, right? Because there's very little human leadership that's able to go like, wait, we live in a dramatically different situation now. What if we, you know, had a chance for peace? What if we didn't massacre the apes? But, you know, it's these bad instincts among both of the communities to slaughter each other. Yeah. And it's interesting how quickly the groups find themselves coming into conflict, considering that, you know, the humans went into the forest to turn the dam on. The monkeys don't care about the dam. Clearly, a very peaceful resolution could be easily worked out from this, like, just base premise. But they're just so quickly given to infighting and distrust that even the groups that are willing to work on, like, burgeoning peace between these two groups is just quickly overwhelmed by a couple guys who want to fire guns a lot, both by, like, Koba and from the humans who, for a place that seems to not have infinite resources those two humans at the gun depot sure fire a lot of bullets <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. at other equipment too yeah which also a great scene from toby kebble when he's trying to convince them that he's just like a dumb ape and when he finally gets the gun and just switches on and actually aims at them and kills them like that was a great scene it's one of my favorite scenes from that it's always one i remember but it's all out of fear too like it, out of the humans like they're afraid that they're going to lose what little they have left and in terms of the apes like cobra is afraid that the humans are just going to start killing them off again and and doing everything that he endured when he was lacking his intelligence from the uh Evan, you already said it, but I already forgot what the, the virus was. was but um, AZ-113 or something like that? Yeah, ALZ-113. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ALZ-113, <laughs> yeah. And so like now he's just wanting to hold on to everything that they've built. And even if that means you know, going against his fellow ape to make sure that his former human oppressors aren't going to ruin his life now. I also love that this movie demonstrates that monkeys are capable of committing false flag attacks. I wasn't sure that would be something within their uh, ability to grasp, but clearly Koba has played this game before. He knows how to get some people riled. There is a a chimp intelligence agency, which is very uh, (laughs) specialized in psyops, false flags. So they were more than happy to contribute to this conflict because you got to think who benefits from this. The ape military industrial complex. (laughs) Koba is the monkey CIA um, already installing new leaders into places. Really, it's fantastic work. I'm glad that the monkeys took 10 years to get to that point. (laughs) We we didn't have even a chance. Yeah. Evan, if there was one thing you could say to pitch somebody who has maybe been hesitant to jump into this franchise or even just this movie, what would you say to them to get them on board with the planet of the apes? Oh, um, I would say that at least the contemporary Planet of the Apes films are some of the most emotionally compelling blockbusters being made today because we get these like these characters that, you know, are are put into these very difficult situations. The decisions that they have to make are very compelling. And I think like there's there's so many layers to it. We didn't even talk about the score that Michael G. Kino is doing for this. Oh, it's so yeah. good. I think about this a lot. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> it's no, the, these movies are are fantastic and they're triumphs of uh, visual effects technology in a world where visual effects are used solely on like sound stages where actors feel like 
the odd ones out. Like we get immersed in this totally real world with the apes being the visual effect and like everything from like the water droplets to like the little leaves in their fur. It's just it's it's totalizing. So those are the 19 things I would say to someone to get them on board (laughs) with Planet of the Apes. Well, I think he convinced them. You convinced me and I've already seen this. So do you have any last thoughts to bring into these damn dirty apes? <laughs> you're, you're filthy. No, they're filthy. No, 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 the dawn of the damn No, the dirty paws <laughs> are filthy. Oh, the dawn of the dirty apes. Someone's got to scrub thoughts? these apes off. They're kind of messy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, are you asking me but if yeah, I have any yeah. final thoughts? No, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that it could be a final thought, someone's got to give these guys a bath. I want to wash the apes. Those are my final thoughts. I want to clean them. I want to give them a bath. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us once again. I hope everyone who has listened to this episode goes and has to subscribe on Patreon. Toss Kino Laughter, a deserving organization doing such great work out in the world, a little bit of cash, and then you get takes from the Forbidden Zone. And, and you get our Primo Laughter episode on Coda, best picture true. winner. At we this knew point. it from day one. Yeah. <laughs> we called that shot so in advance, but also you get exclusive all of the ape content mm-hmm. with more to come. So look out and go do that as well. <laughs> but thanks for joining us again, Evan. It's always a treat to have you back. Thank you. I had fun. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much, Evan. What a great conversation and insight that he brings to this podcast every both times he's been here. Yeah. Always elevating us to our next best podcast levels. Well, apes together strong at the end yep. of the day. Podcasters together strong too. I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time right. to get into our scores. <laughs> sure. well, let's, um, let's get into the uh, critics and audiences thoughts on this movie. Right. What did you think the response was? All right. Everyone had to have loved it. It's too good. It deserves too much to not be loved. I'm going to say critics in the neighborhood of like an 88 and audiences, I'm going to throw around an 86. Wow. Critics was actually a 90%. Ooh, good call, critics. Audiences well done. was 88. So yeah, was very close. close. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll round that mm. out. We'll work that out in post. Just <laughs> change what I said <laughs> to be correct. IMDb was 7.6 and Metacritic was 79. So yeah, pretty high. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and it actually did very well at the box office on a budget of $170 million, it made $710.6 million worldwide, landing it at number eight for the year. I'm so happy that this did well. I mean, it's the sequel. So Rise already laid the framework for this having popular support, but this seemed like the kind of series that no one would watch. And then you discover that it's really good, but because no one saw it, it never got to finish. And then you live in disappointment and anger for years afterwards, (laughs) but it didn't. Yeah. It got to see a nice happy end. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people were like me where they saw rise late and then came to this one after Mm -hmm. because like I had not seen any of, and still haven't seen any other planet of the apes movies other than these ones. And so I had no interest in rise, but when I heard that Dawn was going to be amazing, I got on rise. It was good. And then got on Dawn right in theaters. But Worldwide, Dawn is actually the highest grossing film in the Planet of the Apes franchise. Like, I get it. It's really good. But as a concept, the second movie being the highest grossing is weird. Yeah. Second is War. Third is Rise. And fourth is 2001's Planet of the Apes. Was that the Tim Burton? 
I think so with yeah. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. 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 Domestically though, its order is still Dawn at number one, but then the 2001 Planet of the Apes second, then Rise, then War. Um, really? Dawn seems to be the clear winner by a landslide though. It made $221 million more than War worldwide and $239 million more than Rise. Hmm. So obviously if you adjust for inflation, there's some marginal differences, but overall, Don dunked on the other apes movies. It did, but it also went so much harder than the other yeah. ape movies. Like this one is my favorite in the series as well. Me too. I want to rewatch. I need to rewatch War though because that should <laughs> yeah. be my number two. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of it other than I remember Woody Harrelson is in it. Hard not to, but yeah. So. We're going to quickly give off our scores now. We have them ready to go. We're not beating around the bush anymore. So if you don't mind, I'm going to give my score right now. It is. So for my enjoyment, I gave it a 4.5. I think it is overall very strong. Uh, I did know that there were some slower moments in the middle that kind of slowed down my enjoyment a little bit, but only by 0.5. Craft, I gave it a 5. The visual effects and the cinematography, the score, everything comes together really well. Execution, again, 4.5. I think just on the, the slow parts of the writing, that was it. And rewatchability, also 4.5. Excellent. Uh, well, I'm going to fire off mine here. Enjoyment, I'm going to slap down a 4.5 for this big guy. Really, you kind of enjoy it despite the human parts because they're clearly yeah. not as good <laughs> as the eight parts yeah. are, but they're fine. It doesn't really track from anything craft i'm gonna slap down a four for this no 4.5 for this guy my apologies because it's really good a lot of work goes into this that makes it quite amazing the execution i'm gonna give this one a four again i think the human parts of this yeah are a lot because the eight parts go so hard that Mm -hmm. the human parts by just kind of being good enough they kind of detract from it and they really bring down the pace for a lot of the movie and for rewatch, I am going to slap down a 3.5 for this one. It's not yeah. the most rewatchable because mm-hmm. now it's not really its fault, but you got to rewatch the series and rewatch this it's one. True. So yeah, you and that, that's a pretty big something. time commitment. Yeah. But I do think this is an easy one to get back into. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed my time rewatching it. I'd do it again. I probably will. Yeah. In fact, just stop <laughs> me, Kyle. <laughs> Where does that leave us in total scores? You are going to be throwing down an impressive Big old 18.5 out of 20 for a 93%. Yep. And I will be giving a 16.5 for an 83%. So similar, different, (laughs) similar. (laughs) All right. Well, now the big question is the season rankings. I got mine ready, but do you mind spurting off my current rankings? I would love to. Currently, before Dawn of the Planet of the Apes changes everything, you have from top to bottom... The Grand Budapest Hotel, Interstellar, Gone Girl, Nightcrawler, Lego, John Wick, Boyhood, Babadook, Big Hero 6, Foxcatcher, and American Sniper. This is my new number two. Oh, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I knew you were going to number two this bad boy. It's also a big blockbuster like Interstellar. And I just think the emotional themes and the performances and just like the scale of it felt better than interstellar no i'm also putting this at number two i'll put i'll tell you right now but this and interstellar are both what i really want movies to be because (laughs) don puts so much work into looking phenomenal yeah this thing is fine if it's walking past me on the street i'm sorry i'm whistling at it because it looks so good with all the practical effects that go into this the amount of on location shooting that they do when Mm -hmm. they did not 
have to. No. But they did it for us. Yeah. And those motion capture performances, yeah. especially by Andy Serkis and Toby Kebbell. Oh. Just great. You know what I just read? Judy Greer was Cornelia. Really? Yeah. Oh. And Cornelia doesn't get a lot of screen <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> Why did we need Judy Greer for that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she could have been like someone's cousin who was walking by the set and it probably would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but good for Judy Greer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bringing up the Greer. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just jump into the fun letterboxed reviews. It has a letterbox score of 3.7 pretty high that's pretty good but i didn't find a lot of fun in the high reviews i only really found the fun in the bad ones so that's all Mm. we're getting today half a star by besearch ape does not kill ape but he sure kills the audience with boredom (laughs) (laughs) i i don't even know if i have a (laughs) follow-up for how dumb that comment is yeah um and also ape does kill ape that was one of the court tenets is they broke that yeah but that's okay that seemed to be the common theme about people that didn't like it was Mm -hmm. that it was slow and uh joel hawa agrees uh one star more like yawn of the planet of the apes you know what that's creative (laughs) anytime you get wordplay in there i'm kind of on your side i'm giving this a one out of 20 now (laughs) and this half star by marie was my favorite because it just i read it and i was like what and then i just couldn't stop laughing she says atheists be like my grandpa was great in this movie and then she has two (laughs) goofy face emojis (laughs) no that's a fantastic review that's incredible well that's all i have but i've already mentioned this quite a few times in the academy award details it was only nominated for one best achievement in visual effects in which it lost. We've already watched the movie that did win Interstellar. It did win some other awards. Most of them that were related to its visual effects. It won 10 awards related to visual effects. And a few critics groups actually nominated Andy Serkis for Best Supporting Actor, including the AACTA International Awards, the Saturn Awards, the Empire Awards, who he won, Gold Derby Awards, Houston Film Critics Society Awards, Indiana Film Journalists Association Awards, Satellite Awards, and the Washington, D.C. Area Film Critics Association Awards all actually gave him a look, Mm. but not at the Academy. There are so many movies where one of our big sticking points is that we don't like that the supporting actor (laughs) wasn't nominated. It's going to be a tough one to figure out who we actually want to nominate when we get to that point. Because I think a lot of the reason why Andy Serkis did not get some attention for this was because it is a visual effect performance in a sense. and. Obviously, motion capture does a lot to capture the actor's performance. But as Evan mentioned in our interview, like you do still have digital artists going in and animating his monkey face. Mm -hmm. And so people might look at that and think, well, it's not the actor. He's not actually doing that. It is just a cartoon that looks real. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't agree with that. I think Andy Serkis did an amazing job and maybe Incredible. should have deserved it. There's a lot of great performances in this year. So we're going to have a lot to talk about when it does come to that. But he is definitely in the realm of who I'm considering for that award now. Mm, I think I know what happened, why he didn't get that nomination. The Academy watched the movie and went, wait a minute, that guy's a monkey. (laughs) Can't nominate him. And then nothing. (laughs) Then they walked away. (laughs) He's not even a person. (laughs) 
All right, well, let's get into the interesting facts here. I got quite a few. First of all, the photographs of Dreyfus's children are actually Gary Oldman's children. Oh, that's so cute. He may be, you know, that might have actually helped him get in the mood of the scene, you know. Yeah. And oh they did God, actually kill his kids before. They- <laughs> <laughs> Those were real tears. <laughs> oh. The orangutan that is featured prominently in the film is named Maurice. This is a reference. I thought that was the fact. <laughs> <laughs> the main character's name in this is Caesar. <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> so this is, in fact, a reference to Maurice Evans, who portrayed the orangutan Dr. Zeus in the Planet of the Apes from 1968 and beneath the Planet of the Apes in 1970. Karin Koneval, who did the mocap for Maurice, wore 10 pound weights on each arm during the sequences to sell the weight of her character's performance capture, which also her. I did not know it was a female actress that did this. No, me neither. Yeah. So very cool, though. In contrast to the previous movie, Rise, this film shot motion capture mostly in exterior sets. Andy Serkis remarked that shooting outside in motion capture suits made all the actors and actresses playing apes so sweaty and smelly that they hardly dared to come close to other people after a few days. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad they're all self-conscious, even though they all probably smelled bad enough that it didn't really matter. Yeah. According to director Matt Reeves, the original draft of the screenplay, which was written before he was hired, was set further in the future with the apes having obtained the ability to speak almost flawlessly and Caesar playing a much smaller role. Reeves thought it would be more interesting to explore Caesar's story at an earlier stage, and he asked permission to rewrite the script from scratch. This is why it was it was strange that he didn't get the credit on the Wikipedia page. Hmm. His request was granted on the condition that he deliver the film in time for the scheduled release date, which obviously he did. Nice. And we're all the better for it because this was the perfect time to put Caesar. Oh, yeah. No, it had to be about Caesar. The best salad. (laughs) Despite having a cameo via videotape, James Franco had no involvement nor knowledge of his cameo. The video is stock footage from Rise of the Planet of the Apes. In an interview, Franco stated, wait, I have a cameo? I didn't even know that. You know, I don't think they had permission to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they didn't sue him successfully, (laughs) so they clearly did enough. And lastly, this is Andy Serkis' seventh motion capture film. From 2001 to 2014, in just 13 years, his hard work and dedication playing three hunching characters in seven films, Gollum, Kong, and Caesar, have grossed together five and a half billion dollars. Oh my God. So. Man, talk about a circus freak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So yeah, he's bringing in the bank when he's in the motion capture. Oh, Andy Circus is incredible. Underutilized in general and deserves everything. So give him your money. Give yeah. him, if you have a nice watch, you have to give it to Andy Circus. <laughs> now he owns it. All right. Well, did you have any final thoughts on Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? You know what? It's just a really solid movie that yep. is a lot of the things that people may be missing in some of today's movies. If you're like, if you're someone who is tired of the superhero movies and their over-reliance on CGI and practical, and like, artificial effects and everything but you still want a good sci-fi action movie yeah my friend the of the planet of the ape series <laughs> is for you go yeah. watch it 
Yeah, I agree. Like, I feel like if you have not seen this trilogy, hop on it and go through because it is absolutely worth your time. Every single movie of it. And you watched it on Disney Plus, right? Correct. I did nice. watch it on Disney Plus. So look at that. It's accessible too. Yeah. Wow. You do have to give Disney your money, but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> you, they won't even notice. Just give, slide a couple bucks. Watch these movies. You won't mm-hmm. regret it. I had a question. If they were to continue this series, mm-hmm. would you watch it? If it was just now a remake of Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. but with this sort of style. Well, Kyle, I have something for you. Okay. Because I am a listener to Takes from the Forbidden Zone, oh. where Evan McDonald, host, yeah. revealed that there is going to be another movie <gasps> in the series. No way. It's going to be going into production shortly, and it'll be taking place in the future. So it's not going to be the Caesar story. No. But- there is more coming in this general canon. Hell yeah. And Let's I will go. be there watching it. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. We can go. All right, cool. Well, yeah, now definitely check out this trilogy, people, If because there's more to come. There's more to and come. And you do not want to miss the more to come in theaters because these are theatrical experience type oh, movies. Yeah. Worth it. I regretted missing the first three. You know my ass is going to be number four. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I want to thank you all for listening to season two, episode 12 of Stumps and Dubs. And one more big thank you to our special guest, Evan McDonald of the Kino Lefter podcast. All of his links are going to be in the show notes. As always, you can find us everywhere on social media at Snubs and Dubs. That's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Letterboxd, etc. We're also on Good Pods, so make sure to check us out there and join our official Discord. We would love to hear guys' thoughts on these apes films or on this episode. So please send us a tweet or a message with a question, recommendation, or anything else. I'm also at Kyle Tobias and on Twitter and Jason is at Wendy underscore Mills. As I said, all of those links are going to be in our show notes. Make sure to leave a five star review, share the show to everyone, you know, and check back next week for another episode. Here's a sneak peek of the film we're going to talk about. If you speak a word of what I'm about to show you, you will be executed for high treason. It's beautiful. It's the greatest encryption device in history and the Germans use it for all communications. Everyone thinks Enigma is unbreakable. Let me try, and we'll know for sure. Mr. Turing, do you know how many died because of it? I don't. Three. While we've been having this conversation. That's right. Next time we're talking about the next Best Picture nominee this season, The Imitation Game. So make sure to watch it before next episode. We're also going to have the first ever bonus episode of Season 2 premiere this Friday. So make sure to check it out. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Thanks for listening. That's a wrap. Bye. Bye. For now. (laughs) 